welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and we're back with more sustainable conversations. Today, we welcome Melissa Mattis to the podcast. She's a senior lighting designer and the sustainability specialist at Sladen Feinstein Integrated Lighting. With seven years of experience in this industry, she also anchored the Lighting Advocacy Letter, also known as the LAL, the LAL. Oh, God. It's something (laughs) that came out of a response to the AIA pledge and the LP50 letter. And has really kind of set the tone in our entire industry in terms of what it means to ask for what you need when it comes to sustainable products. Melissa, also known as Mel, is hanging out with us here in Denver today. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks. Glad to be here. Super happy to have you here. You're a part of a documentary that we filmed on sustainability. It launched on Earth Day. If you haven't got the chance to go check that out, be sure to tune in that. It's an incredible story with four amazing people across the entire construction industry. That's something that kind of holistically sums up what it means to take sustainability and create momentum in the lighting industry. Today, Melissa, you and I are going to talk just a little bit more about really what it means to be sustainable, what it means to feel fully embodied, what the total value of life is all about. You don't just do one thing here and then go home and do another thing. You live it. You breathe it. What you believe in is what you practice, what you preach. It's who you are. You walk the walk. You talk the talk. And on top of it, it's important to make sure that when you think about what is most important in life, you don't let that pass you by. You let that drive what makes you tick. And for you, that's put you in an incredible place over your short career as a lighting designer, just caring about being sustainable, caring about all these things and finding that total embodiment to the point where, congratulations, you won a 40 under 40 award year in 2020. You're writing the LAL letters and people are calling you and saying, hey, how do we talk about what it means to be sustainable and lighting? What do we need to do? Before we dive into all this, you got to tell everyone, who's Melissa? And how did you get your start in lighting? Well, my start in lighting was from grad school. Josh Feinstein, um, one of the co-founders of Slade and Feinstein, um, was my professor. He was my advanced lighting professor. And he liked my work and worked on me for a while to come work for him afterwards. And when you walked into Slade and Feinstein, how much did you know about lighting design and how it would create this incredible journey for you and also allow you to practice something that you feel very strongly about, which is being totally connected and embodied when it comes to things like sustainability. I mean, I don't think I even knew that until (laughs) way more recently. It's interesting until way more recently, that's only when you discovered that. You've been on a journey to be a designer, to look at projects, to look at the design world, to understand how to put one foot in front of the other, to just get things done. But there's been a certain way that you've tried to get those things done. You've approached design with a holistic nature of, this is something that matters to me more than just putting dots or dashes on a piece of paper. The energy that's in the space isn't the only thing that matters. The carbon footprint of the stuff that's coming into this building matters. What it's made out of matters. There's all these things that go into the sustainable mindset of a lighting designer. And it's not like you woke up one morning and you just did it all. It was one thing at a time you started to do all this. Talk to me a little bit about what that first moment was like when you realized it was important to pay attention to some of these, we'll call them variables. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been an evolution. I mean, this was 
certainly no straightforward path. And it really started in my personal life. I hadn't even considered these sorts of things in the office. I was on a path of finding more personal embodiment. And um, that had led me going through a yoga teacher training. And there I really learned what yoga really means. And it's really just to unite, um, to, to join, to yoke. And that was a really big wake up moment for me. It allowed me to start asking myself where I felt disjointment in my life. So this led me to start really looking in the mirror, examining my personal life. I went through the ILFI or the International Living Future Institutes, um, their Living Future Accreditation, which was helpful in allowing me to break down the status quo expectations that we just come to accept in life. And they ask a really important question that was very meaningful to me. They ask, what does good look like? And I found that so freeing. I was able to really start dreaming, I think, from that moment. They, and I remember when in the webinar that I was taking when it came on, they had this image, uh, this fictitious rendering of a living future city with these skyscrapers surrounded by these groves of trees and the highways have been taken over for pedestrian use. And, you know, I think about first that was like, well, God, there's gonna be roadkill everywhere. But that's <laughs> besides that, I mean, it really just opened up my mind to, well, it's why not, you know, like, why not? And so I realized I had a lot to start considering ILFI, their program. I also really kind of woke up to um, the personal power of my vote, my specification as a, as a lighting designer. I didn't even understand until just a couple years ago how much power I really hold. And, and you know, that's at home too, you know, like it's everything that we purchase, like that's our vote. And so I started combing through my life and really challenging. I literally picked up every item that I own, you know, and asked myself, the, you know, the famous question, does this bring me joy? I had started feeling better about kind of cleaning up things at home. And I realized, you know, this feels good, but I'm not just this compartmentalized person. It's not work Melissa and like home Melissa and dating Melissa. It's like, well, no, this is, it's just me, you know? So when I show up to the office, those values, they ought to be walking with me wherever I go. And so I had to really start thinking about what I could do, um, you know, how I could kind of close that gap and where I was feeling a little bit disjointed between what I was doing for a living and, and what I really cared about. And well, actually, there was another big influence was um, Bea Simmons' Zero Waste Home. She talks a lot about these different ideas. And so as a, on my personal journey of kind of cleaning up my home life, I found her book extremely useful. And she talks about a lot about writing letters um, to the manufacturers that you love their products, but they might not be sustainable in the way that you want them to be or transparent about the production and the way you'd like them to be. So she provides a lot of templates and whatnot for you to use. And I loved that. I thought that was really awesome. Did it for a couple and it sparked the idea in me, you know, that, well, why not do this at work, you know? If I want to make be making more sustainable choices in my designs, I need more information. You know, like it's just not, nobody's talking about this, like it's not out there. And so I can ask for it. And so I went to my bosses and said, you know, like this is something that matters to me. And this is going to help me be more engaged in my job. I want to write this letter. Like, will you support me? And they were 100% behind me. Like they they shared the same values and and they were they were right there behind me and they said, "Yeah, you know, like we're going to write this letter, like let's get some information back with it." And that letter was the lighting advocacy letter, which you're calling the LAL. This was a year before that letter even launched. This was back in 2020. I wrote a letter to um, 167 lighting manufacturers stating them 
the information that we were looking for, that we like carried these values around um, like health, climate, and social equity, and that we wanted more information about the products that they were producing. And we asked a lot of questions too about um, their future product development. So we collected this like immense amount of data. We had really, really strong response rate, like over 60%. So we took that information and I published that Last year, LDNA picked it up as their cover story in their one of their fall issues. And so that sparked a whole wave of interest. It was the first time the IES had published a story about material ingredient reporting and sustainability based on uh, material transparency. And so that sparked a whole wave of excitement. And from there, people were coming to me saying, like, I want to be involved. And so a small group of us in Boston formed, and, and that was the core group that were the authors of the Lighting Advocacy Letter. So it was, it was, we, there, was a pre, there was a letter before that one that kind of inspired this letter. Every good book has multiple chapters. <laughs> Every great novel has many stories within it. There's so many in here. There's your personal motivation to say, let's think about what I'm using in life. And then taking that and bringing it into the professional world still as you, but then pouring fuel on the fire, having an entire company support this mission because they all agree in it. Then finding all these people that aren't even in your company, but are peers or in some instances, potentially even competitors of yours saying this matters. I mean, to have a movement, to have a, an idea, to have something that can be written and put into a place that is so intentional and focused to grab the attention of the entire design community and industry, I would argue at this point, is something that's super powerful. And it comes from simply caring. It comes from understanding what we're doing, what we're putting in buildings, how we're doing, why we're doing, what we're doing. Honestly, I don't even think I deserve that much credit. I think it's more selfish than that. Like it's really, for me, it's really about me staying true to myself, feeling like an authentic human being, like that I, you know, where I go. And so there's a very selfish motive in that sense that, 100%. that this is just helping me to feel good about my life. I think it's incredible because it obviously helps you feel good about your life and what you're doing, but it makes so much more of an impact than just you and your life and feeling good. It's- Yeah, it's not about feeling good. It's about being authentic. It's about being authentic and it's about creating this opportunity for a professional organization, a professional industry to say, authenticity matters. And let's figure out a way to not only operate that way, but to ask for what we need in order to operate that way. And that's one of the biggest challenges that this industry has right now, which is transparency, which is access to information and getting all that. Yep. Sustainability, I would argue, is leading the charge right now and actually putting one foot in front of the other. But for some reason, sustainability is something that most people are engaged in at this point. They understand the core need for it. They understand that it's the right thing to do. And a lot of people see it as a competitive edge because the entire industry isn't bought into it in the way that I would say you and I probably hope they will be. Right now, there's a core group of people who are focused on it. It's growing every day. You're part of a documentary film that we've put together that talks all about this across the entire construction industry. It's not just lighting. It's every trade. It's every component that goes into a building. Humans were either outside in nature, enjoying nature, or in a built environment. Like fundamentally, that's the two places we are. There's this opportunity that our industry has right now to take the steps to do the work, to create that access to information, to give people the transparency that they need. Your journey has been one where this is Mel's world. I want to do 
this because it matters to me. And then that leads to another thing and that leads to another thing and that leads to another thing. Talk to me just a little bit about from where it started, where you're at today and what you're able to ask for and what you're getting. Well, I think the goal for us in lighting is that we want to be a part of whole building life cycle assessments. That's the goal. We're completely excluded from that right now because we aren't able to provide the information to be a part of that. And in order to be a part of whole building life cycle assessments, we need to be able to produce EPDs or environmental product declarations for our products in order to participate. So advocating for EPDs as really a ticket to play is where I hope that we go. And we are going there. That That's that's the journey that we're going on. We're not there yet. Um, there are some incubator programs going on with um, PNNL and the Greenlight Alliance, um, which are really exciting. You know, there's very, very few product EPDs or lighting EPDs are available right now, which is honestly not even a bad thing because they're not really that valuable without a product category rule, which means that the EPD is specific to um, that industry or that product type. And we didn't even have a product category rule or a PCR for lighting until last year. It was just adopted into the US in the fall of last year. So it makes sense that we're just now coming around to this. So for now, what we're asking for is really just more in material ingredient reporting, more transparency around what's really going into the products. And that's something that I, I really appreciate about ILFI is they've broken it down and made it really simple um, into like asking three simple questions. Where does a product come from? What is it made of? And where does it go at the end of its life? And when we ask these questions, we're really representing the need for that so that we can, we will have EPDs down the road um, and we can be a part of the LCA so that we can really sit there and have the data to say like, is it more efficient for me to create an architectural cove or for me to have a fixture that's going to act like or as a representation of that? I mean, we don't, we don't know those things right now, um, but we could. To your point, lighting has an integrated approach to construction today. It has an integrated approach to a system, a space, a place that's designed designed. It's not a standalone entity, right? You don't just hang a keyless from the ceiling and call it a day. There's all this design work that goes into it. And sustainability can be a, a foray, an opening opportunity to create a conversation around bringing lighting into design, bringing lighting into the built environment in a completely different manner from the sense of how does this impact that whole life cycle of that building? I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, We'll dive specifically more into these things like EPDs, like the Declare labels, why we have to do this as an industry to even create this opportunity to elevate the practice of not only lighting in a space, but good lighting in a space, and how ultimately it creates a more sustainable, well-built environment. Sound good? Awesome. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast and short, fun, informative videos to not only learn, but celebrate lighting. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Melissa and I were chatting a lot, a lot about a lot of things, but specifically what's going on in the sustainability world. And this isn't something that's in addition to everything else. 
that we're doing in the design world in the construction industry. It's something that fits in to everything we're doing. Uh, like we talked about on our previous podcast with Ryan as part of this sustainability conversation, it's not a different way of doing things. It's just a different choice that you make doing all the same things that you're already doing today. Part of that is the environmental impact that lighting has in a building, the embodied carbon, what it's being manufactured out of, where it's coming from, how it's being installed and what's happening at the end of life. EPDs, HPDs, declare labels are all things that as you mentioned earlier on are just a requirement for lighting to become a part of this bigger conversation, really for lighting to continue to be a part of the built environment on an equal playing field. Talk to me a little bit more about why we need that and how simple that really is in reality to do and why it's sort of a requirement for some people at this point. Well, I think it points back to wanting to be a part of the whole building life cycle assessments. If we're going to keep up with the architectural industry where everyone else is going, if lighting wants to be a part of that as we ought to be, then we just require more information. And so the first step is just knowing what's going into the product that we're specifying for the manufacturer to know what's going into the product that they're producing, like all of those different parts and pieces. So if we start looking more closely at that and identifying the toxic materials that we're using in products, you know, so that we can choose products that have less of those or hopefully one day don't have any of those, the toxic material production is affecting the fence line communities. Like, so that's touching on like social health and equity it's affecting the ecosystems that the production of those materials affect. Um, you know, so it's like, it's not just all about like carbon and operational carbon and body carbon. And I really appreciate the framework that the AIA materials pledge lined out with five buckets of sustainability of human health, climate health, ecosystem health, social health and equity and circularity. And so it's like this very, very broad holistic picture. And so we can start to touch on a couple of those buckets really by just by asking for material and gradient reporting. And by asking for that, it forces everybody to take a look at what they're doing. Something that I think admittingly, a lot of people might say they never thought about. They haven't gone that far. They've just looked for, well, today people are just looking to get anything because the supply chain is so convoluted, messed up, and uh, we're trying to sort through all that. But you know, I think there's an opportunity there. I think there's an opportunity for the manufacturers to join together with their collective voice, because you're right, it's extremely hard for one manufacturer to go and ask for all of this transparency on the supply chain. But what if all of them came together and made their own collective voice where they could literally not reinvent, but transform the supply chain industry and, and transparency around that as a collective voice, because if they all get together, then something's going to change. It's certainly pretty much impossible to do something by yourself or as a single entity. Exactly. It's a simple supply and demand, economic calculation. If no one needs it, it's not going to happen. If everyone needs it, it's going to happen. And to your point, step one is let's ask for it. Step two is for all the people you're asking from it to go ask for it from the people that they need to. This movement, this thought process, this idea that we need to declare what we're putting in our products needs to go all the way back to where it starts. And people need to make the tough decisions or be prepared to have the answers that maybe they don't wanna hear come up and then deal with the repercussions of it if they choose not to change that. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the more and more designers and firms that take on that commitment of setting that standard within their practice, you know, that for large quantity items, like we're going to require a declare an HBD level for our top quantity fixture. We're going to require it for our top two quantity fixtures. Okay, this project's much larger. We're going to require it for our top five quantity fixtures. The more that we do this, like it's going to get more competitive and we're going to start be able, you know, there's going to be more opportunities for us to actually fill out three equals that are going to be, you know, all have labels, um, which is very difficult to do right now. I wanted to pause for a moment. Everything we're talking about here matters. It matters because it's the right thing to do. It matters because it puts the earth we live on first. It matters because it allows us as humans to be connected to everything we do, whether it's personally or professionally. We're all in these environments. At the end of the day, though, people may make a decision and they may think, you know, this is just too much work or we don't have the time or resources. It's easy to make excuses about reasons you're not doing things that you currently aren't doing. I mean, I totally feel that. Yeah, I mean, like, (laughs) it's human nature, you know, just don't think we can get to that or don't have the time or energy or... I mean, let's face it, we have 24 hours a day. It's the finite thing in life. We're never getting more of it. However, we talked a little bit over the break about sustainability. And sustainability isn't an added thing. Sustainability is just a way of doing what we're doing. Sustainability is in every bucket of the lighting design profession, of the construction profession, of all the design trades in this profession. It's a lowest common denominator. It's something that an owner can relate to. I mean, hello, lighting people. You want to relate to your owner? Talk their language. Talk about sustainable action. They get that. They may not get lighting, but they'll get sustainable action. There's no reason for our entire industry not to adopt what we're talking about right here. Talk to me a little bit more about that lowest common denominator and about how sustainability fits into every single bucket in construction. I think it has the potential to do that, but right now it's not always a part of the conversation. And so I think we have to, in our project kickoffs, when we first start, we have to, if, if it's no one else is bringing up, then initiate the conversation, ask the questions, like, are there goals around this? Like look into the values of the company that you're working with or the ownership that you're working with, like, and tap into what they care about so that you can relate it back to the sustainability. There's, there's definitely ways to connect. And I would point people to the, lighting advocacy letter toolkit where there's a lot of great tips on conversation starters and how to um, lead these conversations um, where, where they aren't happening yet. When you look past lighting, you go look at interior design and everything that goes into that. You go look at general architecture and building materials and all these other things. There's a sustainable way to approach all of that. The conversation of we're going to create a sustainable place We're going to create a sustainable building. People are saying this stuff. Owners are saying this. Architects are saying this. GCs are saying this. Ryan, who is a part of our group here, they're working with people that have sustainable practices, that want to build sustainable buildings. You want to see it at the first meeting? Tell people you care about sustainability. You used an example earlier talking about a cove. You can build an architectural cove, and then you could place some form of a luminaire in it, a strip light, a linear light with optics on it, a linear light with optics that pivots, right? Uh, something that's modular that changes in and out. Or you could not build any of that and you could just have the light integrated into an entire finished housing product that just bolts to a wall. Two completely different ways to achieve the same lighting outcome. From a sustainable approach, wouldn't it be nice if we could measure that, right? But we can't today. Not yet. Yeah. 
And that's a problem because right. that doesn't allow somebody to understand why you're making the decisions if sustainability is what matters to them, which by the way, in case we haven't figured that out yet, architects and owners care about it. So talk their talk, walk their walk and watch what happens. They won't VE any of your coves out of the project. Frankly, they'll ask for more and they'll ask for this most sustainable way of doing that. But if we don't have the declare labels, the EPDs, the HPDs around all this stuff to qualify for that full building analysis, we're toast. Well, and I think many owners um, are talking about this, but not all owners are talking about this. Like there's still plenty where there's not a triple bottom line consideration. It's a single bottom line consideration, money, money, money. Like, and so, you know, if there's any cost add implication, then it's off the table. Um, and so I think we, it's important that we, as designers step into our, I don't want to say like responsibility, but it kind of is, you know? It's a chicken or the egg thing. Like who's going to ask for it first? Are designers going to ask for it and manufacturers are going to do it? Or are people just going to willingly go do all this stuff? The fact is, is that like our designs are, are contributing to these massive emissions, you know? So it's like, yeah, like you can point the finger wherever you want, but at the end of the day, you're sitting at the table. So like you have an impact, you know? So, and maybe not everyone else like is caring, but like you can still talk about the importance of it and bring that to you to the table. And if you set those values for yourself within your own practice, then that can just become a standard, you know? So it's like, if there's no question as to whether or not we have to have a label, it's like, well, no, for our top quantity fixture, that's how we design. That's just the requirement. You know, you write that into your spec. It's the power of your vote. It's the power of what you believe in. It's the power of what you not only want to ask for, but the fact that you know other people will understand it. There's something to be said about activating your place in a professional practice around what people care about versus what you think is right. When you think about your end customer, when you think about the people that are going to use this, when you design it truly with them in mind, you know there's a success story written behind it before it's even built. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to measure and analyze it. You know if you're really considering people and what they're gonna do there, you're gonna win. Whether you're the designer that's been hired on the job, whether or not you're the person who's financing the project, whether you're not the operator, the owner, doesn't really matter, right? You know the goal is to build this place to get people to then say, I like it. Yeah, like with the why almost doesn't even have to matter, you know, like if that just becomes our standard practice, then we can check that box. There's some things out there. Lead is one of them, well is another. They're probably the two most mainstream things in the industry right now in terms of creating a building that caters to people or, or things, and there's a lot of check boxes around it. There's not a sustainability plaque, right? There's people that are focused on the concept, the mission of sustainability in companies, developing their own programs. There's folks like yourself who are writing letters that people are joining together to help support initiatives and missions. Talk to me a little bit more about what it means to bite this whole idea off, you know, kind of in bite-sized chunks. I mean, yours started as a personal mission and now it's bled over into your professional practice. We can only do so much at once. I mean, where are we now and what can people do if they feel the need to get involved or they want to get involved, but they haven't had the chance to do that? It can feel like a lot of pressure and, and I feel that too, you know, it's like 
the goal isn't to be perfect, you know, like besides like that's way too much pressure to put on ourselves anyway. I think we just have to focus on on the next right thing. We can focus on our goals today and we can focus on our goals tomorrow and we can hold both of those at the same time. So we're looking at goals for today. You can make that commitment. You can sign the Lighting Advocacy Letter. Um, you can download the toolkit and read through it and see um, what kind of resources are out there. There's all sorts of questions that you can ask your manufacturers that are provided. Um, there's language that's provided for you to include in your SD narratives or in your schedules. Um, there's ways to start conversations. And then we can think about our goals for tomorrow. And you know, looking at you know, like, how do we get our hands on EPDs? How do we be a part of the LCAs? And that's really right now about the ask. Using the power of your voice is really going to be a butterfly effect. And I'm really excited to see that become normalized. There's a lot of people in our industry that aren't on the design side, that are on the rep side, the distribution side, or work for manufacturers, but aren't necessarily the top decision makers. But they may care about all this stuff too. What's the best thing they can do to support all this? Is it to continue to degrease the wheels for folks like yourself who are asking for it? Are there steps they can take personally every single day to try and just promote small change within their organizations? They can represent the ask. Um, they can familiarize themselves with the toolkit as well and, and be prepared to answer the questions that are listed. And when they don't know the answers, to find them so that in the representations, we get real answers um, instead of we'll get back to you. Being prepared, understanding why you're asking for this, understanding why this matters. In case anybody's wondering, it doesn't have to do with lighting. <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with lighting. It has to do with humanity. Well, that's the beauty of it. has to do it. with all of it. Yeah, I mean, this is so translatable. This has nothing to do with lighting. You know, like this kind of movement can happen in indus any industry. You know, anyone can write a letter. Anyone can make a Google forum survey. You know, like these, these aren't hard things. They really aren't. This industry has an opportunity to say it matters, and it matters for a greater good. It matters for something that's more than just our specs, our products. It matters for what we plug into that then serves the population, the people. And I think access to information is, is you know, really what we're up against right now. Like, first of all, like having the information, the manufacturers having the information even to be able to provide that is a big problem. And then also having that information easily accessible because the work right now that you have to do to dig to find it is not sustainable. So I'm very excited to see the lighting search engines adopt these kinds of criteria where we can literally filter search for product with declare labels. Um, that doesn't exist yet. And we're talking with people about that. But the more people that are asking for this, the quicker we're going to get it. Mel, this is an awesome conversation. This is one that I know you're probably having, I'm going to go with on a weekly basis with somebody in this industry. Yeah. Potentially daily, depending on, on what week it is. My hope is that people will listen to this. People will not only nod their heads, but people will press pause. They'll go to a website. They'll write a letter. They'll do something. As it relates to that access to information, this industry needs to understand they need to quit hiding things. They need to invest in the technology that makes it easy to search, easy to find, and easy to give everybody the tools they need to do their job. We need to understand that, and we need to support the design community. Manufacturers need to support the reps, and reps need to support both in both directions, all those people, getting everybody th that access to information. The internet's real, websites work, 
you know, we don't need to just do this all, do it all and shove it in the corner. Like you can have the coolest car in the world that goes as fast as possible, but if nobody's ever seen it because it's hiding in a garage, who cares? You know, let's put this stuff out there. Let's give people access to it and let's see what works. I mean, after all, it, it can't hurt. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many there's so many ways to get involved. I mean, we've had rep houses sign the lighting advocacy letter because they, you know, they they do specification too. Like they're that's that's a commitment that they can make as well. And if you go to mindfulmaterials.com, that's where the letter is hosted, and you'll find other letters there too. Like there's a contractor's letter that can be signed onto, and there's in the work an owner's letter that's being written too. So there's lots of ways to show a public commitment to this, where we can represent as an industry that this does matter and that people do care and they really do want this information. Thank you so much for your advocacy in this. Thank you so much for your leadership in this. And thank you so much for sharing your story with me and everybody else that gets the chance to listen to this. This is what we're here for. LightEye was built to empower people to tell stories about lighting and to make sure that people understand what matters. Like you said earlier today, I mean, a rising tide. Boats all boats. Ships, canoes, dinghies, doesn't matter. Paddle boards. Yeah. (laughs) All inclusive. If you're floating, big or small, (laughs) a rising tide is going to bring you up. And it's a good thing. So whoever you are, whatever you're doing, consider it. Consider making a contribution to a sustainable movement. And it can be as simple as going and buying a glass water bottle. It can be as simple as carrying your own- Recycled uh, kombucha bottle. (laughs) Recycled kombucha (laughs) bottle. Carrying your own aluminum straw around um, and, and finding that total embodiment in yourself. Where you can make an impact beyond yourself is in the professional world. The lighting industry is unique in that one person's vote can control let's just say a pretty damn big outcome (laughs) thank you so much for your time if people want to chat more with you what's the best way they can get in touch um they can find me on linkedin find melissa on linkedin that's m-e-l-i-s-s-a space m-a-t-t-e-s melissa mattis go find her on linkedin if you haven't signed the l-a-l letter I would highly encourage you to not only go read it, but sign it. It's important. And right now it is one of the strongest voices that this community has. Melissa, thank you so much for your time. Good luck on your sustainability charge. And we'll talk to you soon. See you soon. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.